Coming up next, the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-37. Why was Peter so horrified? The reason typically we think he's so horrified is because this sheet was filled with unclean animals. Mm-hmm. But as we've shown that this sheet was filled with clean and unclean, from the context that Peter grew up in, that which is clean is going to be made common or polluted by association with something that is unclean. Hello there once again. This is Avi ben Mordechai with another of our ongoing podcasts of Real Israel Talk Radio. And today we're going to continue with our series, Why I Exchanged Salami for Pastrami. This is part six of our multi-part study. On this program, we're going to resume our closer look into some of the more challenging passages of New Testament theology, pretty much dealing with the question that oftentimes comes up, that is, does the Brihadashah, or New Testament, abrogate or cancel the dietary laws of Leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 14? So joining me on today's podcast is Suzanne. Thank you, everyone. You've um, come a long way with us on this. It's not the associations that are determining whether uh, some particular food or some particular action or some particular person or a society or things like that. It's not those things that defile you. And it's based on these two Greek words that oftentimes appear in many of the texts of the New Testament, koinos and akathartos, the idea of moral impurity based on your associations with those kinds of people and things out there. So the true application is, according to Torah, to separate from the actions and behaviors of the Goyim, don't copy them. But what is the false application, Suzanne? So the false application would be to imply that we have to separate from all of them and not even associate with them, whoever the them is in your life. And in this context, it would have been the people who don't follow these man-made laws of how to wash their hands and because they would all be morally defiled and unclean and they would then, through association, defile the food that you're eating and then I become defiled if I don't do it that way. Mm -hmm. And that's why they asked, why do your disciples not wash their hands? Mm. Why are they not following Torah? But the Torah that they were challenging Yeshua and his disciples on was not the Torah from the Mount Sinai. It wasn't the law of Moses. This was the oral Torah that men came up with. And again, like I mentioned, I think last time, this is a very, very deep topic. And please consider Avi's Galatians book. Mm -hmm. where he goes very, very deeply into the difference between the written Torah and the oral Torah, Mm -hmm. what is written and what is said through the Spirit versus what is said through man. That is a topic that you really need to dig into if this is a new concept to you. You know, if I may, even today, not only is this practiced, but if you are a believer in Yeshua, And you get near a Orthodox or even conservative Jewish synagogue or service. If they know 
that you are a messianic, a believer in Yeshua as Messiah, they will label you uh, using a Hebrew term called shituf. Shituf in Hebrew is a partnership. They will associate you as having a partnership with idolatry because you have accepted and believed in Yeshua. Therefore, by their standards, they are going to apply the defilement by association and they will have nothing to do with you because they don't want to contract moral, spiritual impurity inside themselves due to the fact that they are associating with someone like you, a believer in Yeshua. So Yeshua and his disciples were living this lesson out for us by not doing the traditions of the elders, by not submitting unto the authority of men. Their association with Yeshua put them in direct defilement of the moral clean and unclean laws of the religious leaders of the time. Hmm. But what it was not doing is defiling them according to the Torah and according to Yeshua hmm. and, to, and to God himself who gave the law through hmm. Yeshua. So... Our lesson here is moral and spiritual impurity or uncleanness is inherited from the event that happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate from that tree of mixture, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Hmm. This event defiled our insides. It defiled our hearts. And this is what defines man on the inside. And only the sprinkling of his blood on our hearts can clean us from that defilement. Very, very well said. In Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So this is really an important principle. Okay, Suzanne, let's uh, go on and uh, take a look at another one of these passages from the New Testament, the Brihadashah, that uh, seems to have its own fair amount of misunderstanding. This is from the teaching that is called Peter's Vision in the book of Acts. Suzanne, why don't you go ahead and read this passage from Acts 10, 9 through 14, please. Sure, Avi. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Master, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. So we have in this narrative a lesson that apparently this it is an abrogation of all the Torah dietary laws, the laws of Moses in the five books of the Hebrew scriptures, Genesis through Deuteronomy, all basically saying, hey, we don't have to eat kosher anymore. You can have that 
pig pork sandwich. You can have any kind of bugs if you want, even chocolate-covered bugs, I suppose. Mm, if it's in the sheet, you can eat it. Sounds like a, sounds like a winner. And uh, when you go and you eat these kinds of things, just do a little prayer over it, and it'll uh, magically change it into uh, something really holy and wonderful, I guess. I just want to say here, Avi, when I was eating unclean animals, I never thought that this verse could mean anything else than that. And um, I suppose what I'm saying, I have a lot of compassion with people that understand it that way. Hmm. Because we hmm. have inherited lies and we are 2,000 years along from the context that this was given in. And for me anyway, I didn't grow up with any idea of what Jews believed or did or any kind of context here. Hmm. So whoever is out there listening, please don't think we're judging you for still understanding it that way because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's a learning curve. And as our information grows, we can change the way we walk our faith out. But in the meantime, until you've become aware of it, in my understanding, in the Levitical system, there is a sacrifice. He died for the sins we committed while yet not knowing about it. Mm. But the moment you become aware of it and he speaks to your heart, um, then you say, I'm sorry I did that. You receive his forgiveness and, and we move on and we change. Mm, that's well said. Thanks. Okay, so let's take a look at this passage and focus in on a couple of words that are very important to its overall context. In English, the two words are towards the end of the quoted portion. And those words are, I have not eaten anything common and unclean. Now, in order to interpret correctly many passages like this in the Brihadashah dealing with subjects that appear to be dealing with, especially with food, one must take into consideration the difference between the two Greek words that represent these two English words. So, in other words, you have two English words, common, and you have the word unclean. For the English word common, that is the Greek term koinos. Koinos. Uh, I do believe we get the word koine Greek from it. Koine, which simply refers to something that is common. This is in the Greek language. The next word to look at is that of unclean. Unclean. And uh, this is a term in Greek that is uh, pronounced akatartos. And uh, those of you that know Greek and can read it and know what things sound like, be gracious with me if I'm not exactly pronouncing it the way it could be. So I'm pronouncing it akatartos. And this term is the Greek term behind the English word and the Hebrew word for unclean, which reflects the Hebrew teaching in the uh, scriptures, in the biblical narratives of the Hebrew Bible, okay? So, these two words, akatartos for unclean and koinos for common and or polluted, points us to a very special rabbinical concept 
that was adopted uh, sometime in the intertestamental period, is what most of the scholars that write on this stuff will tell you, probably in the second century BCE, before the Common Era. So that would put it right around the time of the Maccabees, the Hashmonaim, and even maybe a little bit before them. The phrase koinos and akathartos was known in the Judaism of Yeshua's day as a defilement by association. A defilement or uncleanness or pollution by association. Now, it was believed that if something clean touched something unclean, that which was clean would become koinos, or defiled, or polluted, or common. And something that is akathartos was something that was ritually unclean or morally unclean as defined by the Hebrew scriptures or the Tanakh. So, Avi, I suppose if we can give an example here. So, if I'm in the field with my flock of sheep and you're in the field with your herd of pigs, Mm -hmm. and I have a stray little lamb, and he finds himself among your pigs, then my little lamb would, by association with your pigs, my clean little lamb would become koinos, right? Mm -hmm. That's correct. And that's a foundational principle. And this held true for people mixing with one another, for our animals. Not just people, not just animals, but even like what we read in Mark 7, with the washing of hands, the disciples were koinos because they were not doing the washing of hands, the nitilat yadaim, the way the rabbinic people had taught it. So they were unclean in the sense of moral uncleanness or morally impure or morally polluted because they were not doing it the way they were supposed to be doing it. So they were koinos and you had to stay away from them. This relatively new concept that the rabbis came up with in about 200 BC Mm -hmm. had far-reaching implications for day-to-day living Mm -hmm. for the people in Israel and Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. where they were, especially in the north, the Galilee of the nations, there were different nations there. There were Romans all around, Romans roaming around. The Romans were roaming around the fields. (laughs) So it had far-reaching implications for Mm -hmm. day-to-day living, Mm -hmm. and the Jewish people had to go to great lengths to separate themselves and separate their animals and separate their Mm -hmm. stuff Mm -hmm. from this koinos defilement. So here's something that then adds to that, which makes it even more important for us, and that is that when you see in the book of Acts 10, 9-14, where it says that in this sheet were four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. If you ask most people what kinds of animals were in there, most people are going to say what? I can't speak for most people, but... I traditionally understood that when that sheet was lowered, it contained the unclean animals or the things that the Jews were not allowed to eat. Mm -hmm. But now in the New Covenant, this sheet contained all those things saying 
you are now free from that bondage. You are now mm -hmm. allowed to eat that. Mm. So that is how I understood it. I can't speak for other people. So, yeah, let's discuss what was really in that sheet. Now, it says again, four-footed animals, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. So when you look in the Septuagint of the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible at Genesis chapter 1, verses 20 through 26, you're going to see that four-footed animals wild beasts and the birds of the air, that these are represented by clean and unclean animals. So we have in the sheet ritually clean and ritually unclean animals in that sheet. And of course, that makes a whole lot of sense in Genesis, because you remember way back when Noah was getting ready with the ark. I mean, he had to have clean and unclean animals to bring into the ark. He was commanded to do it. Well, where did they come from? Clean and unclean, ritually clean, ritually unclean. They had to come from somewhere. So he brought them into the ark. So we know that both of these categories of creatures in the earth or on the earth and in the heavens and all of that, they were all represented in that sheet in the vision that Peter had. Yeah, well, when God created animals, he created them clean and unclean. And those words represented in the sheet are the same words that we found in Genesis. Yeah. And then in Exodus, we find one of those three words as well, where it says, you shall not lie with any beast. And that word, therefore beast, is also in this verse. And surely no one's going to say it's okay to lie with a clean animal, but not with an unclean animal. It's not okay to lie mm -hmm. with any animal, whether mm -hmm. clean or unclean. Correct. So that word doesn't distinguish whether we're speaking about clean or unclean. It mm -hmm. speaks about a beast. So these three words refer to animals, creeping things, and flying things, clean and unclean. And you might ask, why is that relevant? It's very relevant in terms of where we're going next with this and mm -hmm. in this mm -hmm. definition of common and unclean or mm -hmm. koinos and akathartos. So Peter, of course, he responds to a voice that says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Kepha or Peter's response is, no, not so, Master Jehovah, no. I have never eaten anything common and unclean, as it represents itself in the English and the Greek as well. It's almost like we get the impression that Jehovah is saying to Peter, come on, look, I know I have my list of forbidden foods in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, but it's okay now. Look, I'm going to, I'm, I'm allowing you to go ahead and do that. And Peter appears to be just quite scandalized, quite horrified, shocked, saying, I've never touched any of that stuff. Why would you say, go ahead and do that? That just makes absolutely no sense to me. Absolutely no sense. Why was Peter so horrified? The reason typically we think he's so horrified is because this sheet was filled with unclean animals. Mm -hmm. But as we've shown that the sheet was filled with clean and unclean, which means he wouldn't have to be horrified. You can just say, wonderful, I spot a little lamb in there. I want a lamb burger. I'll yep. just take out and kill and eat that clean lamb or the clean goat, right? But from the context that Peter grew up in, from his leaders at that time had learned, was that by association, that which is clean 
is going to be made common or polluted by association with something that is unclean. So by mixing in this one sheet the clean and unclean animals, the clean ones have become polluted by association with the unclean animals. So that little lamb that Peter saw in there suddenly has become defiled. So the clean animals have become common or koinos and the unclean animals, akathartos, were unclean anyway. Mm -hmm. So now instead of seeing a group of clean and unclean animals, he sees a group of common or polluted and unclean animals, which means to him there is nothing in there that can be eaten. Even the clean has become polluted and common mm. through association with the unclean. And now he's stuck because there's nothing there that he can eat. So in Acts chapter 10, verse 15, it says that a voice spoke to him again the second time and said, what God has cleansed, you must not call common or koinos. Don't call it common. I've cleansed it. What is he referring to when he says that, when that is written? No wonder Peter was so confused about this vision. But we see later that he pondered about this. So in Acts 10.28, you know, he has some time to ponder through this. And then he says, Ah, you know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to keep company or to have an association with or go to one of another nation or a goy. But God has shown me that I should not call any man defiled and unclean, which can make me unclean by my non-Jewish associations I'm paraphrasing this, okay? Peter is saying, if I understand it correctly, I'm going to become impure and polluted simply by the fact of my association with a non-Jew who isn't like us or like me. Cornelius and the other two men were not Jewish. So through pondering this, the Holy Spirit made it clear to Peter that this teaching, this relatively new teaching from the rabbis was not according to Torah. And if you just logically think about it, if God's intention was that his bride Israel should take Take his Torah, his salvation, his good news to the whole world. If they are not able to associate with them without becoming common or defiled, how are they to do this? So instead of making yourself into this holy huddle, you are meant to go out and to take the gospel to the nations. So God had to first correct the lies that Peter inherited from his fathers. Mm. He first had to correct that in Peter before he could say, right, I want you to go to the nations with the good news of the gospel. Uh, this brings to mind a statement that Paul Shaul makes when he was uh, writing to the Romans in chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. Romans 5, verse 8 to 10. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, that sounds very default to me, Avi. Mm -hmm. While we were still sinners, Messiah died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, 
much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So if we were to take this rabbinic teaching that had surfaced a couple hundred years before Yeshua and grew to become quite a monstrous kind of teaching, if we took that for what it really is and the way people were understanding it at the time, then I would have to then say, oh, Well, God then obviously cannot possibly associate with you, listener, or me, or Suzanne, or any of us. He can't. He can't connect because associating with us, we're we're a bunch of impure, defiled people full of all kinds of sin that God passed down to us from the Garden of Eden. We're unclean, and certainly he's clean, and he doesn't want to be made unclean by us. So he wouldn't associate with us. The Word would never be able to become flesh and dwell among us, like John said in John 1. Wow, that is really interesting. We're going to take a short break right now and then uh, return to continue with the issue of the biblical kosher laws, asking the question that oftentimes comes up, does the Brihadashah or New Testament cancel or abrogate or terminate the dietary laws of Leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 14. So we'll come back with our biblical study after our short break. Stay with us. You are listening to Avi Ben Mordechai and the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-37. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads. Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Once again, hello there. This is Avi Ben Mordechai with Real Israel Talk Radio. And let's now continue where we left off, asking the question that so often comes up in discussions about the Hebrew Scripture dietary laws and whether they are still valid in Brihadashah New Testament theology. Have the dietary laws of Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14 been abrogated, canceled, or terminated, or replaced by New Testament grace? I'm Avi, and here is Suzanne with some further thoughts. So to summarize, Mm -hmm. this was not about calling non-food food. This was about how Jewish separation regulations from anything deemed to be less than 100% morally and spiritually pure was in and of itself a path to uncleanness and impurity. And God had to correct the traditions of the fathers inherited by Peter before they could go out with the good news. Hmm. Very, very interesting. So therefore, Peter then again reiterating his thoughts on this in Acts 10, 28, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company or to have an association with or to go to one of another nation, such as uh, a goy, a Gentile. So that is really what this was all about, was showing Peter there is no inherent moral impurity. I didn't say ritual or ceremonial. I said there is no inherent moral impurity that somehow something that is unclean can be a contagion and can transmit to someone clean and make them unclean. 
That can't happen. There's nothing in the Torah that would identify it at that way. Now, when it comes to ritual impurity and uh, and ceremonial and ritual things like that, that's a different story. There's something completely different. We're not going there on this particular program today. Yeah, and this, when it says, you know how unlawful it is, here it's not Torah law that is meant unlawful, but Jewish, rabbinical Jewish law and the traditions of the time as taught by the elders. Mm -hmm. And what Yeshua was trying to say is the moral impurity comes from out of your heart and defiles you. It is not contracted by being in association with someone else, as the Jews thought specifically, being in association with the goyim, with the non-Jews. Okay, well said. Let's take this now to the next passage dealing with 1 Timothy 4. 1 through 5. Uh, do you also care to read this as well? Sure, Avi. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Now, with this particular passage, it is quite often twisted right out of its local context, and it is given a whole new interpretation that totally violates everything that it's teaching right here. What I want to do is point out some interesting things for us to consider. It says that God had given us foods that were created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth, with these foods being sanctified by the word of God and prayer or a prayer. Now, the way I've normally heard this over the uh, past few decades is that people can take a pig, slaughter it, put it on a, you know, on a spit over a open fire and let it kind of rotisserie around a little bit and put their hands over it and say, you were once a pig, but now you are a kosher pig. And, sort uh, of like, bless this Christmas ham, amen. It is interesting, though, in America, it's very common to sit down for an Easter dinner with an Easter ham. So what I would like to do is I would like to give the definition of what it means to believe and know the truth. And compare that with the statement that is made early in the passage, where it says, giving heed to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So anything that is not of sound doctrine or of sound truth, according to scripture, if it is taught as truth, but it's not, it therefore can be understood as a doctrine of demons. So what is the definition of truth so that we can know who is uh, believing and knowing the truth compared to those who don't believe and know the truth? I would like to briefly look at Psalm 119, 151, where it says, His word is truth. 
Okay, so his word is truth. Psalm 119, 142. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy Torah is truth. Or thy law is truth, okay, yep. And uh, how about in the Brihadashah New Testament, John seventeen seventeen? His word is truth. So if the word is truth, and David writes in Psalm 119, 151, his word is truth, there you have the uh, concept repeated twice. Psalm 119, his word is truth. John 17, 17, his word is truth. And what is truth called? In Psalm 119, 142, it is called the Torah or the law of Moses. That's called truth. So why would Yeshua say his word is truth, his Torah is truth, his law is truth? Which makes perfect sense, Avi, from last time if we find out that he is the lawgiver. Yeshua is not only our savior Hmm. and our judge and our king, but he's also our lawgiver. This all ties beautifully as a thread right throughout scripture that the Torah and the word is truth and Yeshua was that living Torah. So if we take this idea and move it into Vayikra Leviticus 11, 46 through 47, uh, we're going to run into the word for holiness or sanctification. So here we learn in Leviticus eleven forty six to 47, no defiled eating of unclean food is to be permitted for one who wants to be a part of or call himself or herself by the holy term Israel. I mean, if you don't want to be part of Israel, these laws don't apply to you. But if you do want to be part of Israel, then Leviticus eleven forty six to 47 applies, where it says, don't eat defiled food or tame food, or in Greek, akathartos food. Don't eat it. He says, sanctify yourselves. And there's one more here in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 15, we're going to learn this valuable lesson, which is taken from Leviticus 11, 46 through 47. Again, 1 Peter 1, 13 through 15. Be sanctified and set apart as he is sanctified and set apart. So what is that telling us? If you want to be part of Israel, be holy, follow the Kedusha laws, don't be defiled, don't be unclean, don't be polluted with your food. And so the rest of the statement made in the words that were penned by Shaul to Timothy is this statement here, for every creature of God is good. Well, it's already been defined that those who believe and know the truth, that's going to be defining what every creature of God is in terms of its goodness. It's those who believe and know the truth. Those who believe and know the truth. For he says of that category, it is sanctified or made kadosh, made holy by the word of God and prayer. So let's go to Proverbs 15.8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to Jehovah, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. And that word upright in Hebrew means straight. So the prayer of the one who walks straight is his delight. So are we walking crooked 
or are we walking straight? Now let's see how walking straight is defined. Proverbs 28, 9 through 10. He that turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Whoso causes the righteous, which is yashar, the straight, so who causes the righteous to go astray in an evil way, he shall fall himself into his own pit, but the upright shall have good things in possession. That's right. So we want to be yasharim. We want to be upright, straight ones, not crooked ones. And straight ones are those who shema the Torah, the law of Moses. And then we have Deuteronomy, Devarim, chapter 8, verse 10. And uh, this passage actually is uh, something that we speak even in Judaism. Uh, it's called the Berkat Amazon. That is the, uh, the prayer that we say for after eating a meal. It is coming directly from Deuteronomy of the volume 8, where it says, And when you eat and are full, bless him. Say a prayer. And I often think when we're hungry, we like dive right into the food because we're hungry, you know? So it's like, hurry, just get the prayer over with, right? Let's just hurry and get this done so we can eat, right? You know, chomp on down. But when you're full and are satisfied, that's much harder. Because now we're full and we want to get up and walk away from the table and say, oh, man, that was a great dinner. That was wonderful. And we don't say anything. It's like, wait a minute. Do you want to thank him now? It's better to thank him at the end when you're full. That's kind of what I'm getting out of that passage. Yeah. And in this context, seeing that it's in Deuteronomy, whatever here is meant by eat is eat, which is defined by Leviticus, what would be food. So there is no way around what this means with eating. And obviously, if we look again at our verse in Timothy, we can say that that what is received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth, we've defined the truth, his Torah and his word is true. And we've said that whatever is received with thanksgiving, it is sanctified by the word of God. We've said that the Torah is the word and by prayer. And if we just go back to where this verse starts, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, I suspect we are in those latter times, it says some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. In the year 529, we have the Catholic Church's St. Benedict of Nursia, who drew up rules which were gradually adopted by all the monasteries in the West. And these monks took vows of poverty, of self-denial, of physical agony, of celibacy, and of not eating meat. So here, if we compare this to what we have here, doctrines of demons speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidden to marry. Hmm. So among that, we have celibacy, right? Mm -hmm. And commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. Hmm. So there, part of what those monks who followed Benedict of Nursia, they lived celibate lives and they did not eat any meat, not even clean meat. Mm. And neither of these were commanded by God. Now, if someone decides to be vegetarian for their personal reasons, because they struggle to digest meat, or they feel that animals aren't slaughtered right today, and they can't get hold of kosher meat, 
None of those issues are a problem. But if you say, I'm not eating meat because I believe that God says we're not supposed to eat meat at this point and no meat is able to be eaten or is clean, then we have taken something that God has called clean and we've changed the law and said we decide it's unclean. Mm -hmm. I hope we have covered this one to everyone's satisfaction. So Mm -hmm. would you want to move on to Romans 14? Okay, Romans 14, 14 through 15. Read that one, please. I know and I'm convinced by the Master Yeshua that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Here we have a very interesting statement that's made, and the context starts in Romans 14.1, where it says, Receive one who is weak in the faith but not to disputes over doubtfuls or things that have doubt. Doubtful things is legal because in rabbinic writings, Talmud, Mishnah, Gemara, all of the Talmudic literature deals with issues of doubt, doubtful things, things you're not so sure about from a legal position of Jewish oral law. That's what it's talking about because of the word for doubt. So he says, if one believes, in other words, has a conviction that he can eat all, and it's referring to all meaning all that is permitted, not all that's forbidden or one that does not eat because he wants to be a vegetarian, wondering, hmm, I wonder if we should or shouldn't do this. They weren't going to be in doubt over the piece of ham at the market, because according to truth and Torah, they know there's no doubt about that. They could potentially be in doubt over the clean meat offered at the market for sale. People brought meat to sacrifice to the pagan temples, Mm. and some of that was then taken by those temple priests, and it came in through the front door of the temple, it went out through the back door, if I can put it that way, Mm -hmm. and it was sold on the market. So if someone says, right, this has been declared clean by God, it is lamb, for instance, it is clean, but having been offered to idols, they are now doubtful about whether they can eat this. Mm. So the one weak in faith is going to say, I would rather not eat it. And then for me, as a brother walking in love, when I'm eating with that person, I would then happily eat vegetarian with them. Or if they come to my house for dinner, I would serve them vegetarian meals until God shows them that if he has called it clean, it is clean, no matter what happened to it. This is different, though, than when you are partaking at this service in the temple. Then it is quite different. Then you are partaking from the table of demons. So that is not what it refers to, in my opinion. So that is clear you don't do that. But once it leaves the temple and it's found on the market and you're not partaking of a communion with a demon at that altar, that is clean because God said that food is clean. So it would make a lot of sense then when you go to Romans 14, 14, I know and am convinced by the Master Yeshua that there is nothing unclean 
of itself referring to the permitted foods that are mentioned in the Torah. And so they're saying that by itself, it's not Tameh, but if one considers that that is unclean, it's Tameh, Akatartos, they're just not sure if it went in the front door into the idol and then out the back door, right? They don't know. So therefore, to them, they're thinking, that's unclean. Yeah, and it says here, for who is weak eats herbs. So the guy who's still weak in his faith, thinking, well, all these gods have power, he'd rather not eat that meat. But later, if he learns there's only one god and all these idols that are being worshipped in the temple, they are not truly gods. There's only one Elohim who is above all the Mm. others. Mm. And unless I'm partaking of that in communion in that pagan temple, then what God has called clean, it supersedes what any other person says over that clean meat. And once someone's faith strengthens and grows in the authority of God and His Word, that that is higher than any other claim on that clean meat, then their faith grows to where they would be able to eat that meat sold in the marketplace. But until then, as brothers, we walk in love with one another, and then we would serve this person a vegetarian meal and meet them meet them where they are. You want to meet them where they are. I, I knew you tried real hard to get through that one, yeah. So Romans fourteen nineteen therefore would conclude the whole thing by saying, let us pursue that which makes for wholeness between us and Yehovah, between each other. Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food or because you're so hung up that you just got to have that piece of meat. But it's not about unclean food, meaning the forbidden foods of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. We have a very real analogy to this today in terms of food that is halal. I have met many people that are very uncomfortable with eating meat that is halal because it's been offered to idols. You're talking about to Allah because the the Muslims, they offer it to Allah. Yeah. Mm, So for myself personally, if I buy lamb and it has a halal stamp on it, my concern with it is not that the meat has been defiled. My concern is if a part of my money that goes to buying that meat goes towards funding terrorism. Mm -hmm. That to me is more of a concern. But Mm. I personally have no concern about the meat suddenly being common or Mm. defiled. But if I have a visitor who feels that way about halal meat for the reason of it being defiled, loving my brother would mean I don't serve them meat like that. Mm. But personally, I don't view that meat as being defiled because of what they did with it, because our Elohim declared about that is higher. Again, I understand if that is, according to them, unclean, if he considers it unclean, to him it is unclean. And at that point, I have to accommodate with that person. So to conclude for myself, I can say years ago, I looked at all these verses that we've discussed here and others, and um, these I had as proof before for eating whatever I wanted. But once I came to realize that they were all taken out of the original Torah and cultural context, I still was faced with myself. No matter of misunderstanding could resolve the huge problem that I had, and that is that I didn't want to give up eating whatever I wanted. And no amount of scriptural understanding was going to be able to change my heart. Only I could do that. So remember, God redeemed me 
so that I was now free to choose between the two trees, as we discussed in earlier episodes. And I came face to face with the wickedness in my flesh and the deceitfulness of my own heart. Galatians 5 explains it so well. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness. So here we hear about uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I ended up repenting before God. I told him I choose his ways, so I need his help to change my heart. I do the choosing, but I trust him to do the changing through his spirit. As he promised the new covenant, he will write his Torah on my heart. Since then, I have embraced his whole beautiful package and have not looked back in my choice, though I'm daily growing in my understanding. And I want to end here with a verse from Revelation 22, verse 13. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. May you too consider living out Yeshua's distinctions of life as you walk in his truth and visibly live his truth for others to see. The truth is established in scripture that separations from the world are mandated according to the word of truth teaching us to come out of Babylon, meaning that we are not to copy the practice of the nations. So the lesson for all of us, please consider exchanging your salami for pastrami. And every time we do, let us give honor to our Messiah, who is our acceptable work of redemption, to restore man's fall from the Garden of Eden through a promised resurrection of man back to the beautiful Garden of Eden and his tree of life. Labriut, or if you will, to your health, through Yeshua our Messiah, who has redeemed us and enrolled us each by name into a new covenant, where he has given us a new heart and a renewed spirit. According to Ezekiel 11, 19 and 36, 27, right? Yeah, enabling us to walk in his way, that is the way of life, walking in his truth, the truth of life, and in his life, the resurrected new man of life in his finished work of redemption. Suzanne, thanks for joining me on this uh, rather lengthy uh, series on salami exchanged for pastrami. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us here, okay? Thank you, Avi, and thank you to everyone who joined on this journey. Shalom. So thanks for joining us here on this series on Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. Go in shalom. And thanks for your continued support of this ministry outreach of Coming Home. If you wish to stay up to date with Coming Home news and information, simply register your email address with us on our website, cominghome.co.il. If you have a comment or a question, send us an email address to questions at cominghome.co.il. 